Hello and welcome to the 55th episode of the Fuel for Life podcast. My name is Bogdan Kipko and this is the podcast dedicated to fueling your faith in the one who gives faith. And I believe that whatever fills your mind will inevitably fuel your life. And so my goal is to help you realize the promise of God's gospel for every part of your life. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining I want to welcome everyone to the Fuel for Life Nation, and thank you for listening. And so today, I want to talk about Christmas. So if you're listening to this, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. And the title of my podcast is Four Facts You Probably Did Not Know About Christmas. Now, I know you're super busy. I know you have a ton going on. So I'm actually going to jump right into the content. So fact number one is... Christmas is not about what you need to do, but rather what has been done for you. And I think often when we think of the Christmas story, we tend to think of certain characters that are part of the Christmas story, and we hold them up in a high regard as examples. But I want to flip that around for a little bit today and say that the characters of Christmas that we often know and we see and we talk about in church and in different environments, such as Mary, Joseph, the wise men, shepherds, they're all great and they serve their purpose, but um, they, they're they not meant to be as examples, but rather all of them serve to point to the newborn king, Jesus. Um, the shepherds, the parents of Jesus, the wise men, they're, they're great and they have a particular purpose for uh, what they were intended to do, but they're not being held up for us primarily as examples. And the reason for that is because when you read the gospel narratives and it talks about Jesus's birth, the whole goal of the story of the, of the birth of Jesus is not about what you should do, but rather what God has already done. And the birth of Jesus is not just a birth, but rather it's also a coming. It's the coming of a king that has been promised, and it's finally happening. And so when when the Son of God comes into the world, this is, this, is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is an announcement. And the announcement that happens for you and for me is that you don't have to save yourself. God has come to save you. And so when we think about Christianity, it's primarily, it's not about uh, self-help or it's not about self-improvement. It's not about becoming a better you. Um, Christianity is not about uh, a place where you can kind of get some inspiration or guidance for life. And I would even go as far as to say that uh, Christianity is not even about joining a new community or uh, uh, becoming a, a better behaved or uh, turning over a new leaf or uh, adopting a certain ethic that you didn't have before. No, I think Christianity is much bigger than that. I think that ultimately Christianity is about you personally believing that there is a God and his name is Jesus and he broke through the darkness and came in as a light into this world to go on a cross to save you for himself by himself. That is where we need to begin. We need to begin in believing the report or the good news about what has happened in history. And so this is why the first 
fact that you might not know about Christmas is that it's not about what you need to do, but rather what has been done for you. And that's the difference between good advice and good news, because good advice tells you what you need to do. Good news tells you what's been already done on your behalf. Good advice gives you a counsel of what needs what you need to do in order to act upon certain instructions. But good news tell you, tells you what's been done for you and you respond to that. So here's a second fact. We're all more like King Herod than we actually want to admit. And if you read the gospel account, especially in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read the following verses that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now get this, uh, when Herod the king heard this, the Bible says he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And I believe that um, when the Bible says that Herod was troubled, I think this is the most under, this is the greatest understatement in the Bible. And we all know Herod to be a very evil king. And this kind of begs to have the question asked, well, where does evil come from? And I think that if you ask people uh, today, if you ask your friends, your coworkers, um, if you ask just people out there, maybe your acquaintances, and you ask them, look, where do you think evil comes from? And I think there's going to be two groups of people, and they're going to point to two separate ends of the spectrum. And I believe that the first type of uh, people um, are going to answer you in the following way. They're going to say, you know what? The rich and powerful people in this world are the ones to blame for all the evil in this world. People will basically say, you know what? The Clintons and the Trumps of this world are responsible for all the evil in the world. And ultimately, this type of view tends to make um, uh, the the poor, the marginalized, um, the, the heroes of the story. And here we have on the other end of the spectrum... People will say, well, it's not really the the powerful people that are the problem. And most of the powerful people or the elite of the world will say, well, the immoral and the irresponsible people are part of the problem. And so we have these two groups of people kind of at odds with each other, trying to answer the same question, but from a different perspective. And when we read this particular text, we tend to think that, well, uh, maybe the Bible does favor uh, maybe the Bible does fa- favor those people that are marginalized and oppressed and are poor, and, and that's the and that is the case. The Bible does um, often speak to that. But here's um, another thing that I want to uh, uh, point to: that the full teaching of the Bible is that the source of the world's evil is not necessarily the elite and the powerful of the world, and it's also not necessarily the immoral and the unrighteous of the world, but rather the Bible teaches that the the source of evil in this world is every human heart. And so King Herod's reaction to Christ is in a sense a picture of us all. It's a picture of us all. So whenever our authority is being encroached upon. Whenever our little kingdom is is being laid siege, we immediately, just like Herod, stand up and we 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 are disturbed. Um, we 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 become even horrified. We become uh, frustrated. How dare somebody tries to invade my world and and impose their uh, worldview upon me? And so, the problem, in a sense, is that it's in all of us. Evil comes from our hearts. 
because each of us, we want the world to orbit around us. We want the world to orbit around our uh, needs and our desires. And the problem is that naturally we don't want people to serve. We don't want to serve people, but rather we'd like people to serve us. And all of us have this thing where we try to be the captain of our own soul, where uh, we we want to be uh, the masters of our own fate. And so when we think of Herod and we think of his dark lust for power and for authority, um, it actually points to the fact that every single one of us experience this, experiences this, and every single one of us demonstrates this. All of us, in a sense, want to be supreme kings above all else. All of us want, in a sense, everybody else to commit to our desires, our needs, our pleasures, and our wants. And the problem is that this problem of evil lies in every single one of us, whether you're a believer or you're not, or you're an atheist or you're a pagan, everybody is equally hostile to the sovereignty of God in their life. The problem is that the religious people tend to hide it well, and they we tend to do it in a, in a way better than everyone else does. And even Paul talks about in Romans that he does what he hates to do. And so, the the crazy fact about Christmas is that there is a little King Herod inside of all of us. And what does that practically mean for you and for me? Well, it means that, like for me personally, I have to be more intentional about my Christian growth. I have to be more intentional about my Bible reading. I have to be more intentional about my prayer life. I have to be more intentional to uh, uh, be very vigilant and know that is King Herod on the throne of my life or is Jesus? Because it's very often um, King Herod is, and that's just reality. Um, we have to be intentional about overcoming our bad habits. We 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 can't just glide through the Christian life. And I always say that um, if you're not urgent about pursuing Christ, you you will slip into complacency about pursuing Christ. And so um, that's the second fact that I wanted to mention today, that um, we're all more like King Herod than we actually want to admit. Uh, the third fact um, about uh, Christmas that you probably didn't know is that um, the genealogy of Jesus was anything but clean, moral, or righteous. And if we read Matthew chapter one, we 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 see this genealogy of Jesus. We see this uh, place from where uh, Jesus is coming from. And I think um, often. And I'll be the first to admit it that there has been moments in my life when I'm reading through the Gospels and I get to Matthew chapter one and I just go ahead and skip over the genealogy because we tend to kind of think, well, it's boring. It's a bunch of family names. Who cares? Let's get to the action. But in reality, I think the genealogy is very important because in this particular culture in which Matthew's writing, uh, genealogies were resumes. And when you think of resumes, what do we usually do when we write a resume? Well, we usually leave out the bad parts and put only in the good parts, right? So we don't put in all of the things that we don't want our um, potential employer to find out about us. So we kind of just say, okay, let's just put all the amazing, shiny uh, things about us, about how amazing we are, how stellar we are, and how the world would be a horrible place if we were not in it. That's what we put into our resumes. And But the, the the Bible functions very differently, especially the Gospel of Matthew, because not only are the bad parts of Jesus's family left out, they are methodically highlighted. 
And if you if you read the genealogy, there's five women listed. They're all mothers of Jesus. And in patriarchal societies, women were never mentioned. And not only Matthew mentions women here, but he actually mentions five of them. And most of the women in this genealogy were Gentiles, like uh, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. And so to the ancient Jews, these nations were unclean. And if you take time and you dig into the history of these women, um, Matthew, what he does is he intentionally recalls for readers some of the most horrible, um, most immoral incidents in the Bible. So what do we have here? Well, we have adulteresses, adulterers, moral outsiders. We have prostitutes. Um, We're reminded that um, some of the most powerful um, uh, men in the Bible were moral failures. Um, They were cultural outsiders. There was racial outsiders. There were gender outsiders. And essentially, a lot of the people that were mentioned in the genealogy of Matthew, um, these people should have been excluded from the presence of God based on the law of Moses, yet they were publicly acknowledged as ancestors of Jesus. And so um, if you ever thought that you had a dysfunctional family, go ahead and study the genealogy of Matthew chapter one, and you'll realize that you actually, you guys actually have pretty much everything together compared to some of these folks. And if you've ever thought about it, why do you think that um, Jesus mentioned, or why do you think that Matthew mentions this? Well, um, he mentions this because this is how God functions, that it's not that, okay, Good people are in and God loves them and the bad people are out. No, everybody's in only because of the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's only what Jesus has done for you that can give you a standing before God. And this is why I say that God not only loves to work through broken people, he delights working through broken people. And if you don't believe that, look at the Bible. The entirety of human history is replete with examples of God working through broken people people, such as the genealogy that we read in Matthew chapter 1, and we saw that out of that broken, sordid, sometimes very immoral genealogy, the Messiah came about. And so, what's the point of all of this? Well, in Christ, prostitutes, priests, males, females, Jews, Gentiles, moral, immoral, good, bad, all are equal in God's eyes. This is why Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 says, that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. In fact, number four that you might not have known about Christmas is the following, that, and this one might get me in trouble, but hey, that's what makes life exciting. So fact number four, Binge watching your favorite show and your favorite movie is actually not escapism, but rather your desire for God. And I believe that the gospel story changes how we view all other stories. One of my favorite movies is a movie called Limitless, which stars Bradley Cooper. And uh, this, uh, the events in this movie portray a um, an Edward Mora, who's a struggling writer, and he's introduced to this uh, drug called NZT48. And this particular drug gives the, um, this actor full ability to fully utilize his brain and vastly improve his lifestyle so he can learn a language immediately he can communicate to people very quickly he he basically can do everything he wants to do he's ultimately limitless and when you and I watch this kind of movie we know this can't really happen we we know it's not factually true we know it's we know it's fiction but yet when we're watching this movie or any other type of movie that is similar to this we have this longing in the human heart that we we kind of like our 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 heart wants these things to be true, but our head knows that it's not the case. 
And why do you think that happens? Well, because in our human heart, we have a desire to experience supernatural. We have a desire to to fly. We have a desire to uh, communicate with the uh, with, with with non-human beings. We have the desire to uh, experience a love that that is eternal. We have a desire to defeat death and to never die. We have a desire to uh, experience love and acceptance and validation continuously without without any without any stop of that. We we want those things, and. When we when we when we watch these these stories that are very well told, we find them incredibly moving. We find them satisfying. Why? Because even for a moment, our desires are satisfied. Because there's this scratch that we experience this scratch that scratches this terrible itch that we have inside of us, and our heart knows it's not true. Our heart senses that these things are not true, but we kind of think, but our minds say, no, it's not, it's not true. And, and if you think about the Christmas story, it's very, very similar to the movies that you watch because look what happens. There's a legend that we see. He, he, he breaks into a different world. He has a miraculous powers. He heals people. He can calm the storm. He raise people, raises people from the dead. Um, enemies um, are turned uh, on him. Uh, he's put to death, seems like all hope is lost, and then he comes back to life. He finally raises from the dead, and then he saves people. Well, this is why that uh, the Christmas story is the greatest story ever told, because the Christmas story is the underlying reality of every single other story, because Jesus comes into this world. He saves us, and, and ultimately, in Jesus, we find the reality to which all other realities point to. In Jesus, we find all of our deepest longings, all of our deepest desires, all of our deepest passions and thoughts come true. Jesus is the one who gives us an eternal life. Jesus is the one who is uh, eternally satisfied um, because we are his own. Jesus is the one that validates us who we are. Jesus is the one that confirms who we really are. Jesus is the one that determines our value. And Jesus is the one who who loves us eternally. Jesus is the one who is the reason for why we, we will experience, um, uh, we, we will not experience death and we will experience eternal life. And the Bible even says that um, that trees and nature will will dance and, and glorify Jesus. And so, this is why when we watch these movies and we watch these shows, or if you're somebody who enjoys a great story, or you enjoy a great sitcom, or you enjoy a great narrative, or you enjoy a great great script, the reason is is because in your heart there's a desire for all those things the movies portray to actually come true. And the only time they do come true is in the story of Jesus. So there you have it. Um, Put another way, um, even though fairy tales aren't actually true, the truth of Jesus means that all these movies we watch, they're not actually escapism. they, They, in the ultimate sense, come true in Jesus. So there you have it. So hopefully this was not a a license for you to go binge watch your favorite Netflix show while neglecting all of your other responsibilities. But hey, the next time you're doing that, I want you to think of it more in the sense that, hey, uh, how how does the gospel apply to um, all these things that I'm seeing? So there you have it. Uh, Four facts you probably did not know about Christmas. Hopefully you um, enjoyed that. And you know, in in the end, here's what I want to say. Christmas is about Jesus coming to earth to save people for himself. And this is a a great encouraging thought. And 
I want you to think of that. So uh, when you're singing Christmas songs, when you're drinking hot chocolate, when you're looking at Christmas lights, when you're shopping and buying gifts for your family, when you're receiving gifts, I want you to think of all of those things and look at all those things through the lens of the gospel. And Jesus alone is the only one who can give you everlasting joy and a confirmation that you are deeply loved eternally, despite any of your shortcomings. So there we go. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. And um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for um, uh, being a part of the Fuel for Life Nation. So if you enjoyed this podcast, um, I would absolutely love it if you could leave a rating and a review of it on iTunes, share it with your friends, tell somebody about it. And until next time, before God will do a great work through your life, he wants to first do a great work in your life. And there's hope and his name is Jesus. Let my words be life. Let my words be true.